Now, before I get into this lesson, I do have to say that we had a great time yesterday in Rabs. It's uh, racing around Brandon. And my team, uh, we're grateful to come in seventh. We came in seventh so that the uh, one who got number one uh, is justified for having one. If we weren't in it, they wouldn't be number one, right? The rest of the teams, right? They had to just been racing around like nuts, okay? So without us, you're nothing. So I just wanted to say that. So, even though you want. We're looking at today, uh, limitless love. And, and when we talk about that, loving a person, a real person, is actually hard. Because neither the person that's being loved nor the person doing the love is perfect. We both got faults. But perfect love is loving the imperfect as if they were perfect. Perfect love is loving the imperfect as if they were perfect. That's what God does for us, right? I read this. I really like this. This is an expression of that concept that I thought was pretty well straightforward. It says, Dear Herbie, I know it was our joint decision for you to go off to the army for for a year. But it's so hard not having you here. We are married. Doesn't it make sense that we should be together? I'm so miserable without you. It's almost like you're still here. (laughs) Love, Anne. Too much truth in that, isn't it? Why do women love cats? Gentlemen, now some of you men are strange, I know, and y'all like cats. But I'm going to ask the question, why do women love cats? You know, they're independent. They don't listen. They don't come when you call. They stay out all night. And then when they are home, they like to be left alone and to sleep. Every quality that women hate in men, they love in cats. Why do women love kids? Love is a strange thing. Um, God's limitless love is unlike what we might call human natural love. Here, Frederick Buckner, in Magnificent Defeat, wrote this that I think speaks to that point. He said, love for equals is a human thing, a friend for friend, a brother for brother, It is to love what is loving and lovely. And when it is done, the world smiles. Then there's love for the less fortunate. And that's a beautiful thing. Love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, for those who are going through sickness, for those who are facing failure, for the unlovely. This is compassion and it touches the heart of every man. Then there's love for the more fortunate, and it is a rare thing to love those who succeed where we have failed, to rejoice without envy of what they have, the love of the poor for the rich, of a black man for a white man. The the world is bewildered by the love of saints who do such things. And then there's fourth, the love for the enemy. 
Love for the one who does not love you at all, but mocks you. Love for the one who threatens you. Love for the one who inflicts harm upon you. The tortured love for the torturer. This is God's love, and it conquered the world. It's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? David Cooper, in a book called Entering the Sacred Mountain, A Mystical Odyssey, tells about this rabbi who's teaching a class. And the, the question comes, which, this is what the class asked the rabbi, which act of charity is higher, giving out of obligation or giving from the heart? Now, of course, the class was all certain the answer was giving from the heart. But since they also know that uh, theology rarely makes a lot of sense, they figured he would take the opposite position. And here's his answer. Giving from the heart is a wonderful thing. It is a very high act and should never be demeaned. But there is something much more important that happens when somebody gives charity out of obligation. Consider who is doing the giving. When someone gives from the heart, there is a clear sense of oneself doing something. In other words, heartfelt charity always involves ego gratification. However, when we give out of obligation, at that moment, that every part of us is yelling, no! Because of one reason or another, perhaps the beneficiary is disgusting, or it's too much money, or any of a thousand reasons we use to avoid giving. Then we are confronting our own egos and giving nonetheless. Why? Because we're supposed to. What this means is that it is not us doing the giving. Rather, we are simply the vehicles through which God gives. That's a little bit to think about, isn't it? So let's look at four dimensions. And I think that's probably the best way to describe this today. Four dimensions of God's limitless love. Number one. To comprehend the width of God's limitless love. It says in Ephesians 3, we're just focused mainly on verses 18 and 19 today. To comprehend with, that we might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width. And I'll just skip on verse 19. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. A love that loves the whole wicked world while it's in sin is love that is boundless and universal. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Jeremiah chapter 31, you know that's a great text that we all know about at the end that is the promise of the new covenant. But the first part of it is equally important. Verse 1 says, I will be the God of all the families of Israel. And then verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. With loving kindness, I have drawn you. Now, his love involves a wider circle than we would have ever imagined. You see, for example, the Jewish people would have struggled with this just as well as we tend to. The Jewish people, when they had Passover, they got with their little family. 
in their little home. And they ate their little lamb. And they ate their unleavened bread in their little house by their little self. But when we take communion, we invite the world. Because this love is wider than we have thought. His love involves a wider circle than we ever would have imagined. It is offered to all. So that's a dimension of the width of God's love. And it went beyond what we tend to think. We tend to think our little home. He wants to show you, this is my home. This is my family. The second little thing. So that's the width. I think we need to comprehend the length of God's limitless love. It says to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's so far out there. I struggle to get it. The love that loves from everlasting to everlasting is a love that is endless and unchanging. Now, it's not enough just to say it's endless, but for it to be from everlasting to everlasting, it also has to be unchanging. The New Revised Standard Version in Psalm 103.17 says this, the steadfast, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. That means He has loved you from everlasting to everlasting. That's a long time. Revelation 3 and verse 8 says, Your name was written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. C.H. Spurgeon was once walking along with a friend and they came upon a barn and there was a weather vane on the top of the barn. Y'all may not remember such things. You know, the wind blows it. And on the weather vane it says, God is love. And so the preacher had to be preacherish, and he made a religious statement. He said, uh, you know, I don't agree with that. Weather vanes are changeable, but God's love is constant. So I disagree with that being a weather vane. And then his friend says, I don't agree with you about those words, Charles. You misunderstand the meaning. The sign is indicating a truth, regardless of which way the wind blows. God is love. So... His love involves a longer time span plan than we could have ever imagined. That's the length of his love. That's a dimension of the length of God's love. The next one disappeared. I don't know if it'll ever come back, but I'll tell you what it is. To comprehend the depth. Of God's limitless love. It says to comprehend that he might. We're praying that God would help us to comprehend with all the saints. What is the width and length and depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. So it's a love that loves through the depth of suffering. Not just of suffering. But the depth of suffering that leads to death. And that is a ceaseless an unmerited love toward us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8 particularly, it says, while, in fact, it was on our thing for the communion this morning, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means while, not in it, 
But while we were still sinners, he died in the middle of that. He suffered and died while we're sinners. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 begins, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And that's the significant word. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. So if you're sitting here today and you don't think you're worthy, you're right. But he still died for you. And then he goes on to say, and who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists so many different things. And he says, I'm persuaded there's nothing they can do it. So his love involves a depth of suffering for every man beyond that we would have ever imagined that would have been done. I mean, yeah, you might go through a little bit of trouble for us, but to suffer that way till death. So that dimension of the depth of God's love is a limitless depth of love. Final actual dimension that I want to get to is to comprehend the height of God's limitless love. It says to comprehend with all the saints what is the width. We saw what that was. All. All. And the length from eternity to eternity. And the depth not only to come here and suffer the worst form of death, but, a de- but that he would die. God, life, the son of life, would die. And then now the height. What is the height to know the love of Christ? It's a love that loves at a higher level than we could have thought. Or I'm not saying we can't think of it now because we're talking about it. But we could not have thought of it. It's a love that is limitless and unmeasurable. And, and the greatest text on this is really Isaiah 55. It's actually 58, 57, 56, 55, 54, and 53. It's, it's really that span. I'm going to pick out something in Isaiah 55, verse 8. This is a new Revised Standard Version puts it this way. With everlasting love, I have compassion on you. And then he says in verse 10, the mountains made apart. Oh, we may see one day when all the mountains go away. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you. Once all the mountains are gone, I'm still going to love you. Now, what's the significance of that? Is that the context then flows into Isaiah 55. And a text that we often don't understand. I've talked about it here before, but a lot of people still don't get it. When it says... Let the wicked forsake his way. This is Isaiah 55 verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. The Lord will have mercy. And there's the critical interpretive word. It's the word for. The Lord will have mercy for. He will abundantly pardon. And this is the critical interpretive word for verse 8 that's often misunderstood. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your ways. And my thoughts. And so what he's saying is, when it comes to the subject of mercy, I will pardon. Because I have an everlasting love for you. And he's saying, for my thoughts are way above yours. You would have never thought of what I'm going to do for you. And what's the context of that? Chapter 53. I'm going to give my son. You would have never even thought of it. So it is something high 
in thinking. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying God isn't a genius and above a genius. There's no such word that explains his intelligence. But his thinking about love is higher than we tend to think. So when I talk about it, and here's the truth, the only reason I got an idea about it is because he told me about it. Without this book, I would not have any idea of that high level of love. None at all. I would have been down here wallowing in the mire. His love involves a difference of a higher love above that that we could imagine or would have ever thought of loving. So that's a dimension of the height of God's limitless love. So here's what we looked at. We need to learn by praying that God can help us. So if you're sitting there and you're struggling with what I've said today, pray more about it. Because that's what he says. He's praying about it. That God would grant us the ability to comprehend the width, the length, the depth, And the height of God's limitless love. Now the challenge now is twofold. The first challenge is to accept that God loves you that way. That's a big challenge. We struggle with that. But the second part of this is to practice it. It's not just enough for us to believe it. And believe that it's a wonderful idea. Then now the challenge once you accept that it is extended to you. Is then to practice it toward all. That's a challenge. I'd love to show you the next thing. It is so good. Oh, look at there. What just happened? It's magic. Does it move? Does it move? No, it doesn't move, does it? Does it move? It's going the wrong way. Ah, there we go. That's what I wanted to show you. Charlie Brown. So critical. It is. Charlie Brown. I love to quote Charlie Brown. Don't you? I think he's such a genius. Listen to what he said here. Charlie Brown said... I love humanity. It's the people I can't stand. That is a problem, isn't it? Missionaries. The next picture is a picture of lepers in China. That's a leper colony. And Christians were visiting with them, talking to them about Jesus. And, of course, they had put together the leper colony and were helping them out. And they asked them a question. uh, Just how do you know that... The Lord Jesus loves you because you're here. Don't underestimate your love for others. Are you you following me now? The challenge isn't just to receive that God loves you with a limitless love. The challenge is to love others with a limitless love, no matter who they are, even down to lepers, if you say down. And then James Moore, in a book, When All Else Fails, Talks about George. I love this story about George. Now, George actually worked in the hospital. And George was loved by everybody. I mean, everybody loved George. He worked in the hospital for 40 years and he was retiring soon, but he got sick. And he's in the hospital and he's about to die. In fact, he dies at the end of the story. But that's not the story you need to get. So while he's there and everybody in the hospital knew him, the administrator knew him, everybody knew him. George just made friends with everybody. So one day, uh, there, the whole family's gathered around because he's not long for this world. His family's in the room with him, and the administrator comes by of the whole hospital. And George talks to him just like they're best buds. I mean, hey, good to see you. Thank you for coming by. I was just chatted, and then he left. A few minutes passed. The janitor 
one of the janitors of the hospital came by. And they chat and they just, oh, good friends. Hey, how you doing? And, and he left. His family turned to him and says, Dad, did you not notice that you treated the administrator of this hospital the same way you treated the janitor of this hospital? And George just chuckled. And he said this. He said, uh, I see what you're saying. But if the administrator left for two weeks and the janitor left for two weeks, which one do you think would be most missed? Does everybody not matter? Can you not love as wide as God loves? Do you love everybody? Can you not love them as long as you live? Can you not love them enough to suffer somewhat for them? Can you not love them enough to think higher than they think and do things for them beyond where they think? I love this story. man had a boulder in his yard. He was in his way. Finally, he literally made an elephant out of the boulder. Somebody says, well, how in the world did you able to do that? How could you just turn a boulder into an elephant? He said, well, I just chipped away everything that didn't look like an elephant. Here's the trick, folks. You want to love with limitless love? Chip away everything that doesn't look like love. Get it out of your life. If you can comprehend and accept that that love is for you, guess what? Since we are called to be like Him, you can extend it to others. Because once you know it, once you comprehend what cannot be fully comprehended, you can suddenly do it a little. So if it's for you this morning and you have never received it, you can receive it. It's not something magical. All you got to do is not only believe it, you got to be willing to give your life to Him and to it. He is love. So give your life to Him. Be willing to make Jesus Lord of your life. Confess Him as the Savior. And we will baptize you for the remission of your sins today. You can then live a life of limitless love. That's your invitation if you would. Won't you come while we stand, while we sing.